Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of, you guessed it, the TKW Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Anthony Corbo. And I'm Kyle Maggio. And good uh, good deal to talk about this week, so let's hop right back in. Um, let's Before we start anything, let's just take a look at where this team is sitting at the moment. It is January 18th, 2017 at approximately 1.45 Eastern time. And the Knicks are currently 11th in the East uh, with an 18-24 and record and sitting two and a half games back from the Bulls for eighth place. It's just sad at this point. You could say what you want about them not having the personnel to play defense. And, you know, you you figured this wasn't going to be a fantastic team, but a lot of people had them more as a middling team. And... They're not even middling at the moment. And I was sort of banking on, uh, you know, last time we talked that things would balance back out a little bit and just they'd catch a couple of breaks. And, um, you know, outside of a couple of heartbreaking losses, um, I mean, they just keep losing at the buzzer or damn near. That's two at the buzzer now this season. And, uh, you know, the the other one is Schroeder hitting that big three after it looked like the Knicks were really scrapping their way to win that game. And I, I don't I don't know, because those are those are tough losses, man. I mean, because one miss and you're right there, that's three wins. And we're probably talking about them just as an eighth seed or so. And I don't know, it's it's disappointing more than anything else. This is a very talented team, especially offensively. And to be six game under 500 is just wildly unfortunate yeah and uh, you know what i'm taking a look at the um the eastern conference standings at the moment and you can kind of see like where the divisions are you have the cavaliers and the raptors and really like the celtics the top four really all have pretty close records the Cavs are well up on the hawks but like cavaliers are 29 and 11 raptors are 28 and 13 yep. um celtics are 26 and 15 and they have the hawks at 24 and 17 and that's kind of like the first tier of the Eastern Conference. If you want to put Cleveland in their own tier, fine. That's good to go. Uh, and then you start looking a little bit lower. You have fifth seed through the just about ninth seed all have almost identical records. You have the Wizards at the fifth seed with 21 and 19. And the Hornets are at 20 and 21 with the ninth seed. So it's getting a little bit closer to where the Knicks are. I can kind of consider that the second tier right there. Yeah. But then you look just below that, and you got the Pistons at 19 and 24, and then the Knicks at 18 and 24, and uh, kind of gets worse below that. The Magic are just about there too, 17, 26, and then Sixers, Heat, Nets. We're not gonna bother. But yeah, so I'm kind of. It's hard now because it seems like things are kind of aligning how they're gonna sit through the rest of the season. I mean, we're officially past that halfway point, and I mean, this was most certainly an expected outcome. It might be the most expected outcome for this team for this season, even though a lot of people had them in the 40 win category. Um, a lot of people had them in the high 30 win category, but 
Uh, yeah, right now it's it's still too early to tell where they're going to sit, but it's not pretty right now. They're cemented in that third tier for the moment. Yeah, I I, I just that's the thing about the East too is it, it is sort of a game of runs here because to begin the year. The Knicks were, what, 14 and 10. Everything looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were overachieving. It was wonderful. And uh, I think everybody, including myself, were just like, oh, well, the Wizards suck. This is awful. We all wrote the Wizards off, and the Hawks started stumbling, and then we are just like, hey, maybe these teams who uh, weren't who we thought they were, and that'll open things up for the Knicks. And then things started to balance out a little bit, and the Wizards had a little bit of a resurgence. And uh, even the Bucks, the Bucks underperformed a little bit coming out of the gates, and then Giannis went into you know, God mode of sorts, and Jabari came yeah. on strong, and so now the Bucks are playing good basketball. So it's it's tough because now it's almost like that's what I was sort of banking on. I was like, okay, well, the Knicks have had a horrendous run now. I mean, they've lost. I mean, what's their record since going fourteen and ten? I think they're four and fourteen. Yeah, it's it's four wins, and the loss total escapes me, but it's right around there. Yeah, so it's uh it's terrible. It's terrible, and and you just have to imagine with just the offensive talent on this team that at some point or, you know, sooner rather than later after going on a run like that, that they're going to start shooting. Well, guys are going to start clicking at the right times. And I'm not saying they're going to be fantastic, but you're not going to lose four out of 18 games. You're going to at least be a 500 ish team. And that'll kind of keep you on pace to make one of those sort of ladder seeds in in the Eastern conference. So um, just disappointing. I, I think, I think the worst part is they've played actual better basketball over the last five or six games overall, and they've just lost a couple of heartbreakers too. And that that doesn't help anything either because, you know, you start playing better and that's kind of good for team morale, but then you lose at the, I don't know, shot at the end and it's almost all for naught. Yeah, so let's take a look at uh, the last couple of games. We had the, since uh, last week when we last spoke, we had... That game against the Sixers, where was the first game Derrick Rose came back to uh, after skipping the game versus the Pelicans, and he was put in the starting lineup. Uh, that was a loss, and then they beat the Bulls, which I think no one was really expecting, but you know, it was definitely a possibility, and it was good to see. We got um, a little bit lucky on that one, though. Jimmy was out. Yeah, a little lucky on that one. Out. No Jimmy, no KP. Yeah. Um, then they lost woefully to the Raptors. Um, and then there was a game versus the Hawks, uh, which they lost as well, uh, by one point on that weird possible no call Rose drive, but I don't know. Where do you want to start? Uh, the loss versus the Sixers. I, I just want to briefly touch on because there's, there was no reason to lose that game. It should have been a get right game. I know the Sixers have actually been pretty tremendous when Embiid plays um, extended minutes whenever he's on the floor. Um, there, there's some ridiculous stat Trey brought up to me yesterday, actually, where in the the 200 or so minutes that um, Embiid isn't on the floor this season, the Sixers are like an average of uh, a net negative of like 10 or something. And oh, it, I know, I know what this is. You saw yeah. this, and then in the 600 or so minutes where he's on the floor, they're like a plus two and a half or a plus three. So it's even worse than that. It's because this was on uh, the Ringer NBA show I was listening to last uh, week. Okay, okay, so you heard it and then. It was yeah, it was. Um, I think he was talking to. Might have been talking to. 
Uh, I can't remember who's on. But anyway, it was the Sixers are a negative 240-something Yeah. when Embiid is off the court. And, oh, you know what? I think it might have been low post, actually, uh, because he was talking to Jeff Van Gundy. And it was the Sixers are a minus 240 when uh when Embiid is off the floor and they're like a positive like three or a positive ten or something when he's on the court. Yeah. Do you know that's a negative two forty something? Like that is disgusting. That is disgusting that enough, the difference between the two. That was enough to uh make Van Gundy reconsider his all star uh nominations because he didn't want to put Embiid on because he's on that minutes restriction. And yeah. that was it. Immediately he's like he's he's in. He, he's, so he's yeah. Been He's been phenomenal. And the Sixers as a whole, I think their last 11 games, they've gone 6-5. and five. So it's not like they've been playing bad basketball. They've been beating good teams, or, you know, they've been beating more teams anyway. And in a lot of their games the seasons that they've lost, even against good teams, they've been very competitive. These aren't the usual Sixers that get blown out. They're just losing games regularly now. So I don't want to say it's the end of the world and like, oh, it's rock bottom, they lost to the Sixers. But if you can, again, if you consider yourself to be a playoff team, that's a game you got to win. You just got to... Find a way to win that game. And that was certainly a game that you could tell took its toll on the players afterwards. Melo was not happy after that game. I don't remember his actual comments, but he, was, he wasn't he was pleased. And I feel like that kind of started the week that we just had where things have really seemed to be, really seemed to get a little bit derailed here. Yeah. And yeah, no, I, I agree on that. It, it was just, it, there's nothing more frustrating than at, at least to most teams than to lose to the Sixers to a just whether it's perception or not, and maybe guys don't realize how good they've been with Embiid on the floor, but um, just that stigma of playing the Sixers and losing to them is never a good thing for team morale. Um, thankfully, the next game, you're able to at least forget about it because, again, we got, you know, even though we didn't have KP, uh, Jimmy's been fantastic this year, um, arguably the second best player in the East between him and Giannis, and he's been just phenomenal, and we got lucky that he wasn't playing. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, we played a pretty much the Windy City Bulls, you know, they, that was a very D-League-esque team. They tried it out that game. Yeah, it was and a game right game, though. It was still, still a necessary win, you know. Win's they win. They could have taken a lot from it. Yep. Uh, the Raptors game, that Kinda one bothered the me. the door on all that shit. Well, that bothered me because, the se- yes, the second quarter was bad. They allowed like 40 some odd, 42 points in the second quarter. But I, I watched the whole game, and it was like the first quarter, you know, they played – moderately good defense they kept pace with everybody offensively rose was having a really good first half 16 points three assists he shot well um Mello actually was picking up the pace too he was hitting some threes and then like the wheels just fell off immediately like coming out mm-hmm. of the gates in the third like no one tried anything and then all of a sudden it's a 40 point game and you're just <sighs> yeah but moving on from that i do want to talk about uh this recent the last game the loss against the Hawks because there was you know obvious there was obvious changes implemented you know Baker started Kuz started uh but there was definitely a different a different feeling about this game no yeah I I think the shakeups kind of created an air of desperation you know guys even though I I think the wrong guy had to sit in Courtney Lee I, I don't think uh, agreed I don't think you ever we were talking about this today a little bit I don't think you ever need to need a punish Courtney Lee he's been he's shooting 43 percent from three he's averaging like 10 per uh, 10 points per game he is what he is defensively he's a good defender and it's like that's not the guy that you need to be sitting he's an unselfish guy who's 
making everything when he touches the ball. So I'm also not of the opinion that being moved to the bench is a demotion or uh, is sitting a guy or something. In the right circumstances, it could be uh, done well. But it was pretty clear that uh, you know either the coaching staff or Courtney Lee didn't handle it the right way because he didn't play the whole second half. And then you had, you know, all the other uh, BS that came with it. Well, but, I, did, I didn't get not playing in this. That's what kind of bothers me. Is that, yeah, you can come off the bench and that's actually okay. Because I think as we've kind of, I don't know, gotten more, whatever you want to call it in today's NBA, it's more accepted in today's NBA because, you know, it's more skilled and more strategic in today's NBA. Your second unit needs to be able to compete. Yeah, ex- exactly that. And, you know, um, that's why we always make the the arguments, too, of like, oh, should KP play more against uh, the other team's second units, or is that better for Carmelo? So it, it is more strategic. So I don't think that's the end of the world that he came off the bench. I, I think it's especially that they want him to score more. Maybe that was a way to get him to score more. That's fine. But it didn't make sense if that was the reasoning to then not play him in the second half. Now, mm-hmm. I, again, if, if they win this game, we probably talk about it a different way, but... I just, I don't know, especially in the fourth, Rose was having a really difficult, I mean, he made some big buckets, but he was having a really difficult time guarding Schroeder, you know, who's to say we couldn't just put in Lee to cover Schroeder, let Rose stay in the game and see what happened. I I don't know. It really rubbed me the wrong way that Courtney didn't get to play the second half. It bothers me. Yeah, I just feel like there was something like he probably said something to Hornacek. I I probably shouldn't speculate like this, but he, you know, it was... There's probably some kind of thing that arose between him and the coaches or something that made them say, all right, you're you're out for the rest of the game. But, um, you know, I, I don't know what that whole situation is going to be like. But the thing that really uh, I mean, we can talk about this a little bit more later. But the thing that really kind of strikes me is like. This is so similar to what happened with Aaron Aflalo last year. When, mm. you know, he kind of. uh you started, he took the social media to voice his displeasure and everything like that after getting moved to the bench. He wasn't happy the whole rest of the season, and he just dwindled and faded. And before that, he was a little up and down, but he was one of the fairly consistent members of the uh, starting lineup, too. And you know, it's just the same same kind of role that they're both playing. Um, I would admit that Courtney Lee is probably a better player, well, but it's just the way that it's being handled is... Uh, I'd, ag- I'd agree to an extent, because it, it is very similar. I do see that, especially the way it's being handled and being that they play the same position. And even you could argue that it actually made more sense for Aflalo to, let's say, come off the bench because he's really only in there to score. Aflalo, at this point, the last three years, has been a a pretty terrible defender. And more than that, it doesn't even look like he's as interested in defending anymore. And um, with us, yeah, to start the year, he had some very good scoring outbursts. He was pretty consistent. But then um, we did need bench scoring. We had no bench. That was a big issue last year. So that made sense for him to come off the bench and just get his shots, but he didn't see it that way. So I think, yeah, maybe there is a similarity here, but I think the difference is Courtney's a two-way player still. You could argue maybe his defense has diminished slightly, but he's still giving you good, positive minutes on the court on both ends. On top of that, he, he's shooting a much better percentage. I would percentage. say much more consistency from offense through Courtney Lee, too. Yeah, yeah, he shoots a much better percentage. He does it consistently, and... um I think that's sort of where his displeasure might be, where he's got to be sitting there thinking, like, what else could I possibly be doing? I'm I'm out there busting my ass playing defense. I'm hitting my shots. He's in the tops in the NBA in uh, three-point shooting. He's top 15 right now. Mm-hmm. And I think before 
he actually shot worse this last four or five games because I think for a couple of games he was a top three. He was actually number one at one point. So, you know, you have arguably the best or one of the best three-point shooters in the league, and that's not an argument. That's facts. And on top of that, what he does defensively, you know, it's got to be frustrating for him that not only is he demoted maybe in his eyes, but then to get, you know, shut out in the second half that's that's rough that's why i understand the move is because he has been so like offensively consistent and the bench is probably where they could use that consistency in the most the most because like they've been brandon jennings is not a consistent player he's probably the antithesis of a consistent player um you know you still have shakeups it's been a while since we've seen billy out there yeah um you know kuz is moving up and down the starting lineup you don't have lance anymore uh, you know, Kyle Quinn has been much more consistent this this season, but still has on and off days. So I would say I would argue the most that you need to throw that moving Lee into that lineup was the best move for the team. And I think that that was kind of a good um, vision of Hornacek to see that. But I don't know what's going on with all this mis- miscommunication with this team lately, because just the way it's handled is not right. I just don't know if Courtney Lee may, might not be the guy to accept that anymore in his career. You know, he kind of started off uh, being that bench guy, and he might not want to go back to it. But uh, yeah, I, it just—it was a move that made sense to me, and I didn't understand why it was handled so poorly. But I can see him being a little upset at Ron Baker, and I want to talk about Ron Baker a little bit because Ron freaking Baker, man, he's—he's he's playing well. He—he he is the anchor man. He, he, the anchor man, yeah, Ron, Ron Burgundy. He's—he's he's playing well. And it's enjoyable, and it's especially at that position where Jennings hasn't been consistent either. It's important that we have a guy who can handle the ball and bring some sort of consistency, even if it's not strictly offensive. He's just moving the ball, um, the little things, the you know. And I hate to do this with you know the the one scrappy white guy on the team, but I guess we're gonna start throwing out all those cliche hey, terms. There are two scrappy white guys on the team. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough, but. But uh, he he really is. He's just he's he's been solid. He's been good. He's played good defense. He's moving the ball around. Um, he's not really doing one thing in particular. It's just kind of a bunch of small things that kind of snowball into into a bigger thing here. So uh, I like what we're getting out of him. I don't mi- again. I don't mind the starting thing. We just discussed this with Courtney. I, I wish they played Courtney a little bit more off the bench. But we'll I guess we'll have to see if this is how it's going to play out going forward. Maybe they do write that. But well, here here's my thinking. Ron Baker is not the answer. Ron Baker is not a starting two guard in the NBA. I will leave that right there on the doorstep. But goddamn, that was fun to watch. It it is. is. It's fun to watch him. It's just like, you know, every year we get someone like right when it goes to shit. Like we had Jimmer for a second there. Um, You know, just like a guy who's going to like come in there, get that, you know, get that start and go after it and have a game under the MSG lights and, shine everything i just i man he looked like uh it's especially with him because you know he's undrafted he's uh you know hasn't he's really just kind of thrived on the opportunities that he's been given this year and excelled when he can and i you know it's just fun to see it's a good story it's much better than what we've been talking about the last couple of days and the last couple of weeks uh you know he seems like a smart guy and uh, yeah stoked to see him out there and i'm really glad that he uh kept shooting after he went like 0 for 3 to start the game and he looked he looked nervous in the, in the first possession he went 0 for yeah. 3 he the went 0 for possession. 3 the first possession he the had, first he possession was like, 
He had shot like seven shots in the first five minutes of the game. It, it was two jumpers and then, and then one at the rim that he missed it. And he just, oh. shooters got to shoot. Shooters got to shoot. Stay classy, Ron Baker. <laughs> no, I, I enjoy Ron Baker. And I I admit that I was wrong to an extent on him because I did want uh, Chasan Randall over him pretty badly. And that was a better look, I would say, coming out. But I guess they just kind of were looking for the defense that Ron Baker brings. And, you know, o- he can shoot. It looks like he can shoot well, yeah. like he can handle it under pressure. If he can keep that up, that he could be a he could certainly be a rotation member. Yeah, I mean, he's he's looking. I think ultimately his ceiling here is, you know, an eight or ninth man who's going to give you a good 10 or 12 minutes a game. And I think that's really all you could ask for is he comes out. That's all we can ask for. I think that's all he's asking for too. Yeah. You know, like he's you know he knows what he, he's a smart guy. He knows his role on the team and his position in the NBA. And you know, he, couple of he can definitely play a couple of seasons like that, being a valuable you know bench contributor. Um, yeah. now he is a starter on the New York Knicks right now, though. At this juncture, yes, yes, he is. But um, it's all downhill. <laughs> you know, but but you're right. We always do get these random. Uh, showings from a guy who we kind of had buried on the bench because i think it, it probably it, i'm gonna try to go back as far as i can here i, I think it kind of started at least recently with bill walker bill walker yes came yes the bench. i was gonna go someone for, i was gonna say roger mason jr well but well, well bill, bill i think walker, bill walker like was more like roger mason was still like a shooter like we kind of knew roger mason could shoot and then bill walker were just like eh he's an athlete and then all of a sudden he came out and and then balled and um i think after that it was probably Real quick though, I saw Roger Mason uh, hit a three pointer off the side of the backboard one time, and that was like the greatest shot I've ever seen. Like, he just like curved it like it was a bullet in that one movie that everyone always refers to. But oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, I think after that, probably it probably had to be Jeremy Lin, probably. Yeah, but Lin was something else entirely. That yeah, but it started as he was just kind of. Yeah. Buried yeah, but a little the bit. thing is, like, Jeremy Lin came in in that first game that he was given like minutes to, and he he just wrecked shit. He did wreck. He shit. went like that was like he scored like twenty something points like in like the second half of that game, and then the next game I think it was the one where he just like destroyed the Lakers for thirty six points. Yeah, I think that was the number. But yeah, like those, it's definitely the Knicks are just comical enough of a franchise to like consistently year after year, get a player like that coming in. Yeah. Um, like Travis, Ware was that for me? Oh, yuck. Dude, remember him? Yeah, I do. He was, Oh God. I constantly find myself looking up like, where is Travis? Ware? the LeBron stopper for one game. <laughs> and, and then after that, well, well, yeah, wasn't that the tank season when they ruined no, uh, no, LeBron's, I th- he might have been around for like I think he was around for tank season and even like a little bit more of another season. I think he got waived. He did get waived. He, yeah. he was playing for the Lakers in training camp, training camp last time I saw it, but I don't know where he is now. Uh, it's probably time for another wiki search. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So getting off of Travis Ware, um, yeah, we we didn't talk about Kuzminskis in the Hawks game yet. Because Kuz was, he was the king there. I'm calling it, he's clapback K. Because he, uh... Clapback yeah. K? Yeah, I'm calling him that. I wrote that all in right. the recap. I gave him four nicknames in the recap the other day. That's good, because we were, all I had was uh, Kuz the Bruiser in the chat. Oh, Kuz the Bruiser. Uh, yeah, but I call him that because, you know, he came out, he was playing well, he started, he, you know, hit some shots, and he showed some moves, man. Like, he was like, 
his footwork getting to the basket a couple of times. I didn't know that he had that in him. Uh, really good little like Euro lays. Um, you know, good, smart moves out there. I was really impressed. And then he got messed up and he got that, uh, got that bruise and the blood and everything he had going down. And, uh, I think it was Bazemore got him like going up, uh, or either for a rebound or he was going up for a shot or whatever. Um, and then Kuz came back looking like a freaking villain and acted like a villain because yeah. he, he was killing it from then on in. And it was just, that was a really good, I, I've been pretty big on him all season. Uh, but that was a really good showing from him. I was, I was really liking that. Yeah. He's a very good offensive player. I mean, we saw a little bit too. Um, I, I just want to kind of balance it a little bit because he did kind of get wrecked defensively in that game also. And I, I think he overall was, was a, a positive in that game because I, I think he helped to keep it close. Cause I think he scored what 14 or 15 in that mm-hmm. game. And so, yeah, I mean, he's that, that's what he does. He's there for offense. Um, I, I wish he'd get more consistent minutes. I know it's hard because you have Lance there and Lance kind of gives you kind not of more. You don't. Well, yeah, not for X amount of time until he recovers from the concussion, but it's an or- yeah, it's not the concussion though. It's the orbital fracture he had. Oh yeah, it's, yeah. He got the the cheek fracture. He's got to get one of those uh, again. Like I was writing in the recap the other day, the OG Rip Hamilton mask, and uh, yes, will come out with the vengeance. I'm hoping that kind of gets him going again because I have not been impressed with Lance's showing this season. Well, really. well, the only thing I'll give him is he shot well from three. Yeah, he's he's shooting I think 42 percent on the year. So that's kind. Of, he's there, but he's also not the. Like the Knicks aren't a great three point shooting team, but they have good three point shooters other than him. They have well, Kuz, they got Lee, and everything. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get to that part because uh, what I wrote about, we'll get to that later. But that's kind of where I was kind of going with it. Is is we have a team full of shooters, and you know, Kuz is one of them. Kuz is shooting thirty seven percent on the year. That's right around or right above league average, and you need to get those guys more looks because right now everybody kind of keys in on, on a Carmelo, on a Derrick Rose, uh, you know, on a KP, but a guy like who's coming off the bench and you create some opportunities from him, that's going to open things up. I think a game like he just had is going to help us going forward because he's going to come off the bench and people are going to know, okay, well he can shoot threes. He can take it to the hoop. Like you can't just forget about him either. And I think it's important to get, some of these scores off the bench going because that ultimately is going to open things up. You're not going to go again. I talked about this in the piece, but you're not going to go double Carmelo when Kuz is in the corner. Cause you know, Kuz is a knockdown shooter. If they're going to find him consistently, you're not going to leave him alone. So I'd like for Kuz to get more minutes. I, I think we all kind of know what he's capable of. I think we're all kind of high on him in that sense. And mm-hmm. it, it, especially in the absence of Lance now, I think it's very important that he stays consistent and gets these, 20 or so minutes a game. So, all right. So we kind of got a little bit of a new look lineup going on, uh, some new things to try out. And we got pretty, pretty packed schedule coming up this week. Uh, they are playing tonight, January 18th, Wednesday uh, at the Celtics uh, TD garden. Uh, following that tomorrow, the 19th, they're playing against the wizards at home. And then it's going to be Saturday uh, versus Suns at home. Monday, they're going to Indiana to play the Pacers. And Wednesday, they're going to Dallas to play the Mavericks. What do you what do you see in that schedule? What do you think? Well, we don't have KP tonight against the Celtics, and they're mm-hmm. 
they've been on a roll uh, and they've been at full strength. So I, I don't see us uh, winning tonight in Boston, unfortunately. But I'd like a good fight. Try out some new rotations tonight or something. You know, like right. you, you know, you're probably not going to win this game. I want Horn and Sec to try out a couple of new combos, see who's working with who. Just shake it up a little bit more, you know? Right. Just keep trying to see what works off the bench. Give some guys some burn. Like, just experiment. You know, don't have high hopes for this yeah. one. But um, I said this last week, and I was uh, I was very wrong. But I think this is the week when they start to get somewhat back on track. I think after the Celtics game, let's say tomorrow they play the Wizards, maybe you have KP back. And then hopefully you have KP back. And I, I think you could... Beat the Wizards. I, I think the Suns are going to be in New York. I think you get your revenge on the Suns. Yeah. Um, the, the Pacers, I think that was a very, this is a very close proximity to that last game they played it. I, I don't think they're going to let that one be a, a laugher. So I think they're going to run. I think they're going to run off a few here, is what I'm saying after the Celtics game. Okay. I'm actually going to go with four and one in four this strict. Four and one. I, I think they're going to beat the Wizards. Um, I think this is four and one with KP back. That that's yeah, what I'm, okay. I'm. I'm assuming we get him for the Wizards, and then after that, um, I think he's going to do naughty things to Marquise Chris in the Suns game. <laughs> um, the pace, like I said, I think the Pacers game. You got to play with the sense. Of, that's again, that's a playoff team like the Wizards. You got to try to win those games. Those are important. And then you get the Mavs, and the Mavs have been a train wreck this year. One of the worst teams in the league. You yeah. got to win that game. You do. Yes, they do. That's that's as close. Probably one of the few must-win games that they've had this season. Um, I'm taking a look at it and I'm thinking that I agree with you. They're going to lose to the Celtics. I think that they're going to split, uh, the wizards and the Pacers game. So we're looking at one and two so far. And then I think they're going to beat the Suns and the Mavs. So yeah, three and two. All right. We're not too far off. This could be a get right. It could be a get right week. Just, yeah, just um, get get a couple of wins in a row. I, I don't care how it gets done. Just you, you need to boot. I mean, this team, like you can argue this team is not good, but you cannot argue that this team is also this bad as they've been. Because sure. even, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Even the most pessimistic of predictions had them at like the, the lowest I really saw was like 34, 35, which was what their record was. Uh, well, last year was 32. But, yeah. you know, even the worst of the worst had them like just below middling. So, this isn't a team that's going to keep losing four out of every eight, uh, sorry, 14 out of every 18 games. It's just, it's not possible. At some point, they're going to start playing better basketball, and we're running out of time in this season here. We're already yep. at the end of January. I think this is a stretch when they, they get a little bit more W's than L's for the first time in recent memory. It could happen, but hey, Kyle, we have not been very good at these predictions so far. I've had one accurate week. Yeah, I'm somewhere on like one or two as well. So hey, we yeah you know, we might be due, <laughs> might be due. But like we know, with the next there is nothing guaranteed. No, uh, except for Carmelo Anthony's contract and his no trade clause, which is a great segue. Um, so we keep on hearing little rumblings about him sitting down with Phil Jackson recently. I mean, even just as soon as this morning, um. We were seeing that, you know, it was just a quick meeting and some people were saying that it was more like confrontational. Some people were saying it was very relaxed. Some people said it was longer. Some people say it was shorter. Um, but what what everyone's kind of agreeing on is that they didn't talk about uh, trade scenarios or where, you know, they could work it in. There was no real rumblings of that. 
Um, and also that Mello kind of walked away from the meeting unsure, but quickly afterwards said that he was not going to rescind his no trade clause and he intended on playing with the Knicks moving forward. Um, just kind of want to run through this quick. Do you think that's the right move for, I guess, A, Mello and B, the team? Yeah, I mean, it's right for Mello. Yeah, I don't think that you could really argue that too much. It's You don't think it would be better for him to try to just let that go and see if he can see if there's some kind of scenario where he could go play for a team that he's better in position to win? I think, and a lot of, a lot of people, more people than I thought, um, have kind of come to this same kind of defense that I've come to. And um, the same way people, including myself, were not thrilled with Kevin Durant upping and leaving to go to Golden State, that was his prerogative. He wanted to leave and, and go play where uh, there was a, a loaded historical team and give himself the best shot to win a title. And that was what's important to him. And, you know, our opinions be damned. And I think that's the same thing that kind of applies here. You know, so uh, I think it was Anthony Irwin for SB Nation who said, um, so wait, you know, if, if a guy leaves a, a great scenario to go to an even better scenario like KD, we have to, we're supposed to get mad. But then if a guy is in a shitty scenario and wants to stay in his shitty scenario, we're supposed to be mad. So if a guy, if a guy is loyal, um, if a guy isn't loyal on a, on a successful team, that's wrong. But if a guy is loyal on, on a shitty team, that's also wrong. He's like, how is it like, what's the perfect scenario here that everybody seems to be complaining for? And right. I think it, it doesn't exist and there's no win. There. Right. So in terms of your question of, is it the right idea for Mello? And I think this is sort of the reality here, and it's what he said for a long time. I think everybody just needs to actually accept it. I think it is because he's shown that he said it, but now it looks like he's showing it, which kind of lines up to make it accurate. He's perfectly content with being an NCAA champion. He's perfectly content with being a guy who's won three gold medals. He's perfectly content with being you know, on the All-NBA team six times in his career and a scoring champion and a nine-time All-Star, and he's okay with being in the Knicks in this scenario. He He's, if you know, you can call it financial security. You can call it uh, a family decision because his wife, uh, mm-hmm. Lala, loves it here. And that's where his son is. And this is his birth state and her hometown. So I think, you know, we can't really sit here and rip him as an individual, as a as a worker, an employee. No, of course not. For, yeah. for making that decision it, because it is his decision. And for him, it's the correct one. So I think that's where that is as far as you want to argue if it's better for the team or not. I think this team as currently constructed is a hell of a lot better with Carmelo. And I think in terms of what's best for the team would probably be, would be trading him or trying to trade him because, you know, you got to figure he'd only wave it to a contender and maybe those guys are desperate enough to give away a little bit more in terms of assets or future assets. Like I I bring up so often the Timothy Mozgov trade, you know, the the Cavs shelled up two first round picks to get him. Mm -hmm. So, you know, What's best for the team is to try to create a better future for KP. And it doesn't look like Melo is going to waive that no trade clause to do that. So unfortunately, until that day comes, this is all for, for not, I guess. But yeah, it's it's best for Melo. It's not best for the team um, for their future outlook. See, for me, a couple of things I want to touch on what you were just saying. Um Mello is a guy that is always going to exist with like a very strong sense of pride. 
you can see it come out in how he talks and how he handles the media and how proud he is of him, what he's accomplished, which is a good deal, uh, you know, with the Olympics and the uh, NCAA tournament. Um, you know, he's proud of all those things. He's proud of being in New York and playing for the Knicks and, and all these things. So as proud as he would be to get a, you know, a championship or an NBA ring, first of all, that's not guaranteed. Uh, you know, no matter where you go, look at how the Warriors are the most stacked team that I've ever seen live in my life or ever seen before my eyes. And there's no guarantee they're going to win that. There's no. no guarantee that Houston doesn't have a good series again them against them or that, you know, uh, LeBron is able to stop the whole team again. Um, so no matter where Melo goes, you know, that team is not going to be better than the Warriors and that team is not guaranteed anything. So that's that right there. And I think it would be a little bit more of a uh, hit on his pride if he was going to just give it all up right now. If he was going to give up everything he's been working for for since 2011 out here and everything else he has going for him and up and leave. So um, I, I think that this probably is the right move for Melo if he's at peace with the idea of, you know, probably not competing for a championship. In terms of the team, which kind of plays into the same thing, the thing that the team has to do the most, even more than getting the right pieces around KP and building around him and everything, is creating an environment where KP wants to stay. You know, if if he, because we're not winning the championship in the duration of uh, Porzingis' contract right now. Right. You know, his rookie scale deal isn't going to be the one that brings us to, uh, you know, championship contention. It's going to take a little bit while after that, and you kind of need to make sure that you have things set in place so he's not just going to bolt on you uh, because things are so dysfunctional or you have a president or an owner that you can't trust. Uh, so for me, them handling the Mellow deal right, and the, you know this might be the best move for the team, so KP can show that he's got people on his side. He's kind of got a place to continue off of, a good spot to land when Mellow's out finally, like when he his contract expires. And, um, yeah, I, I just think it goes in, a lot into that kind of culture around the team and making sure it's right so that he doesn't leave. No, I, I do agree. I just, and the other thing we, we overlook so often, too, about whose team this is now, you know, between Carmelo and uh, Chris Stapps is that a lot of what Chris Stapps is able to do and the looks that he's able to get, and a lot of these are, are largely open looks, and a lot of that comes from having Carmelo on the court. So mm -hmm. it's almost depends how you look at it, but, you know, Melo almost takes a hit so that KP can be efficient and be this this budding star because a lot of these shots revol uh, revolve around, you know, Melo getting double teamed or Melo drawing in the defense. And then, you know, KP usually just has to knock down a jumper or, you know, it creates a lane for him to go off the dribble and get to the hoop. So that's, that's important too. But I, I think that's a part of him accepting his role. I think maybe... If there wasn't Chris Stapps and this was a middling team with no future and, and maybe nobody, no protege for him to help out, I think he might be more apt to leave. But I think maybe yeah. having Chris Stapps there, he's okay with that because it's like, look, we might not win anything, but you know what? If my legacy, he's already a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's already, that's that's for sure. Mm -hmm. So at this juncture, he just, I think anyway, he's comfortable with it because it's like, look, I'm going to transition out of, my career, making all this money, this great career that I've had, and I'm going to help KP out. I think that's a part of it, too, that must help with where he's at. Yeah, I'd help I, I, I totally agree with that. I, you know, the more kind of 
it's a little bit of a shock. Everyone kind of wanted to see it happen. Everyone wanted to see the the mellow trade shakeup kind of thing. And just so like, I think a lot of it was kind of like people just wanted to start the next book, the next chapter in this New York Knicks uh, history kind of thing. They wanted to end the, uh, you know, 2000s era or the Amari Stoudemire era and move on to whatever's next. Uh, but, you know, grass isn't always greener and there's pro- this is probably the best way to get somewhere you know it's not gonna be a fast trip no matter how we do it but this might this is probably gonna get us there fastest yeah um but another kind of component of this whole thing is always has to go back to the coach i mean with hornacek um yeah he i feel like he's kind of taken a bit of a hit this week i I don't know. I mean, I, I agree to an extent. I, I don't get why or how this kind of falls onto him so much because he's kind of had. Doesn't, a diff- but this is what we do. Yeah, yeah, I know. But he's had. This is quite the predicament that he's had to had to deal with. I, I mean, it, it's all kind of stemming back from the, the Rose absence, and ever since then, things have kind of been a shit show. You know, mm-hmm. Brandon Jennings hasn't been happy. Courtney Lee hasn't been happy. Uh, Rose was rumored to not be happy. There was a blow up between the two of them. Uh, well, that's the whole thing reportedly. now too. You have like these like role players, the you know the high bench role players, like you know I guess Courtney Lee now with his dumb and dumber thing, which I guess was supposed to be Hornacek and Ron Baker. Um, I'm, I'm is that assuming. is that what the rumor is? That's kind of what I read into it, but that that's just me starting some fires here. I, I don't I don't um, know I don't know about that one. I, I, I think <laughs> I, I think. Uh, you can almost maybe look at it. I don't know. I, I, I'd rather not. I'd hope it isn't on the coaching level. I'd hope it was higher up, like Phil and James Dolan. Okay. Could be. Could be. Probably, we'll probably not, but I'd hope. We'll see. I, I just It just kind of comes back to, I think Courtney Lee is a bit mad at Hornacek, but you, know, you got Brandon Jennings, who was like very quick to hop to Courtney Lee's side, which is cool, defend your guy and everything like that, but he kind of can be kind of adversarial with the media, so... You have kind of a riff going with Brandon Jennings. You got Mello, who's too busy being caught up in all this Phil Jackson shit that he, you know, he's not going to be there to jump to Hornacek's defense like Hornacek can jump to his. Um, you got Rose, who's really like Rose doesn't really seem like he cares all that much about the team. Like he really seems like he's just more kind of, you know, he needs to get his max contract this summer, and this is where he's showcasing it. Kind of, it's almost as if he's trading the next like a D League team. Um, and then moving on from that, you have. You know, your vocal leader, the you know, seventy two million dollar man, Joakim Noah. And he's quiet. You haven't heard a peep at him. Chris Ops isn't playing, so it's just like it, to me, I'm just looking at Hornacek right now. He seems to be pretty under fire. I see a lot of articles getting written about him about how he should have handled the Rose case or how he should handle all this right now. Um so I guess really what I'm starting to wonder at this point, because this is kind of like a test for him to see how good of a coach he's really gonna be for this team. And I'm starting to wonder, it like, what he's going to do to get himself out of this scenario so he doesn't get sucked down that same rabbit hole that, you know, destroyed Derek Fisher and Mike Woodson and Mike D'Antoni and, I guess, Rambis, too. And, you know, all these guys fall into this media trap and get, you know, so caught up under pressure. What's Hornacek going to do to prove that he's different from all these dudes? I think he's already said what he's going to do. I think shaking it up is kind of where he's at and not just the lineup with Baker and Courtney Lee, but you know he he's already said that KP's going to play more at the five and Melo at the four, and I think that sort of from from what I've read, I guess 
at first, you know, a couple of years ago, Melo didn't really want to play the four, even though that was his optimal position. But I guess this year he was okay with it, but I guess KP wanted to play at the four still because he isn't ready for the five, which is fine. But last year I kind of liked how they they used the lineups uh, a bit better. I, you, you had KP playing like kind of half and half. It was like he was playing at the four, he was playing a little bit at the five. And this year, they kind of went away from that almost entirely. It's, you know, you have Noah or, or, um, or Quinn or even Billy playing the five all the time, and there's almost no time for KP there. So mm-hmm. it sounds like there's more of an interest of, of getting those guys going at their optimal positions. It sounds like Hornacek gets that. And um, I think that's sort of the, that's what we've always clamored for. We've been talking about optimizing the offense for, what, two months now? Yep. So... You know, I think that's that's the best thing he could do. And you could argue whether shaking things up is a good thing or a bad thing. Only time will tell if that motivates guys or pisses them off and disengages them. But uh, optimizing the offense is absolutely the right thing to do on, on an inept de- uh, defensive team. I, I think that's the one thing. You know, this is going to get Carmelo some better looks. I think offensively he's going to get going. Defensively he's not going to get hung out to dry all the time. Same thing with KP. KP's defensive rating is is trash sometimes because he's always on the perimeter. Same with Carmelo. Sure. So if you put those guys down around the paint, you know, since 2012, Melo's been a, a much better defender when he's at the four. So I think putting these guys in, in a position to be successful on both sides of the ball is where he can save himself from, you know, b- before it's too far gone. I, I think right. that's... Before he loses all opinion. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's where he's already he's already said it. I think he's just waiting for KP to get back, and then we'll actually see how this plays out. What do you? Because I kind of heard a couple of little rumblings about this too. Do you, as far as because I know what everyone would rather see, and kind of what the opinion is on this, but as far as what would be better for the whole team as a whole, do you, do you move KP to the bench unit or do you move Noah down? I mean, I'd like to see KP around the basket more, but everyone has their concerns about whether or not he's ready. I, I think what's uh, optimal. No, I think you got you got to keep starting KP. KP is the future. He has a future at the five. He's already the, not only the team, but the, one of the league's top rim protectors. You know, he's in the top three or four there. So um, benching him, while in theory that sounds fun, that sounds okay. I think the best thing you could do is is probably just bench Noah. Noah probably knows he hasn't been playing well. He's had a pretty good run over the last week or so. He's rebounding the ball a lot better, and he's sure. been act, he's been a little bit better defensively. He actually really has, you know, at the very least, his block numbers have been up. He's blocking shots at a higher rate, so he has been better almost inarguably. So I think benching him while he's rolling might be difficult. But I think if, if it comes down to one of them going to, to start, because Hornacek hasn't said how he wants to manage this yet either. He hasn't mm-hmm. said if uh, the lineup, the starting lineup is going to change or if it's just starters kind of stay the same, maybe with Ron Baker right now, who knows. But um, And then as the game goes on, you'll see more of that. So uh, I think it's up to him how he wants to handle it. But I, I think ultimately giving Noah less minutes might actually be better for him long term he knows he's going to get to yep. just come out for 20 minutes off the bench or predominantly off the bench and just bust his ass I, I think that's ideal yeah Noah played I will say Noah played well against the uh the Hawks the other day but yep. he logged like 
30 something minutes. It was close. could be close to 35 or even over. Uh, but yeah, that was, that's too much to play him. And yeah, I just think Noah, you're, you're right. I agree with you and everything that you're saying. Um, I just always am concerned about Noah's production. And if you swap him around when he's, you know, riding a good streak, how that's going to affect him. But ultimately, I'm kind of of the opinion that this is all going to go back to... Uh, I think it's all going to go back to the media. And I think before long, even if you try a couple of things out, you're going to be back with Rosalie, Mello, KP, and Noah as your starting five. I think that's okay. I just think the staggering is what needs to, sure. to change. Sure, and I agree with that too. Because there's a lot of times too when... Hornacek didn't do it too much to begin the year, but he's kind of settled into it where we have a lot of all-bench lineups that come out now. And I, I'm not sure how, how fruitful that is. So I, I think maybe just try to stagger it a little bit differently. And if you want to stagger it with Melo at the four, KP at the five, and then pluck them as you go, I, I think that probably works a little bit better. I just think it's yeah. – I think you could leave the starters. I just think how you adjust over the course of the game to get those guys in their best positions – you know, I, I think that's what's most important. Starting is kind of, I mean, we talked about this, you know, 20 minutes ago now, but starting coming off the bench doesn't, it isn't the end of the world anymore. As long as these guys are getting their touches and, and getting the looks and being in a position to succeed. Yep. So position to succeed is another good segue for this week's show uh, because we are halfway through the season we are uh, fans and, uh, you know, lovers or whatever of a team that's 18 and 24, um, which, you know, to, you know, the sting is pretty much gone at this point. We're used to this. Um, so what do you what do you think that this team does from here? It's 40, 42 games have been played so far. Is this team going to win for the rest of the season or is this team going to lose? I'm asking the big tank question. Honestly, we're we're going to probably end up where most of the pundits kind of pegged us at. I, I think it's going to come down to a ninth or 10th seed. Um, at, at best case right now, it's looking like an 8th seed. So, I mean, they're only two and a half back of the 8th seed. So, realistically, you could argue for a 7 or 6th seed. But I think realist, I think what you're going to get is is a 7 or eight, uh, an 8th seed or ninth seed. And uh, I don't think we're going to get a tank, and I don't think we're going to get the somewhat successful year that we were hoping for. So, um, yeah, I, See, I don't know. It, it's sort of that e- eternal mediocre position of, of the ninth seed that everybody wants to avoid. All right. I, cause I kind of think, um, I kind of feel like they've been doing the same thing for a little while now. And they're, they see, I feel like they see a window here. I feel like KP is hurt right now, but he's not as hurt as he sh- he is staying out this many games. Um, I'm kind of seeing... I feel like I'm seeing a few signs here, like Courtney Lee going to the bench and Baker starting and things like that. Of Yeah, shaking it up, but if it doesn't work, it's not the end of the world because more losses kind of equals a better future outlook at, the, at this point in the season. Um, I was a big fan of them making the playoffs uh, a couple of weeks ago and that being good for KP's development, but I just don't see that as realistic anymore. So I feel like the team is kind of on the same page here and I don't think it's going to be a full tank or anything like that, but I think that they do not mind experimenting at this point and uh, taking a couple of losses to, uh, you know, see how they want to build going forward. I, I, I think that 
I don't think that playoffs is the management's goal at this point. Kind of what I'm saying. I, I think I agree because the playoffs. The underlying pretty- goal. There's a public opinion goal that they're going to put out there to get to the playoffs and play every game and everything like that. And they might even try to do that in some games, but I don't think that that's the, their optimal plan A. I, th- I think the reality of it is when they were 14 and 10 and even sort of 500 that was fine because it looked like they were going to be a fifth seed, a sixth seed, or a seventh seed. Mm-hmm. And in that scenario, they're going to end up playing the Raptors, the Celtics, the Hawks. And at that point, that would be beneficial for Chris Depps. That playoff, those playoff series would be. Because while they still likely lose, they probably win a game or two against one of those opponents. Whereas if you put them against... Uh, uh, sort of a slaughterhouse lineup uh, of the Cavaliers in the first round, you're going to get swept and it's probably going to be ugly. And I don't think that helps Chris Stapps at all in his first national stage uh, series. He he gets, you know, they, they wipe the floor with him and the Knicks. So I think at this point, yeah, experiment. If you lose, you lose. It's not the end of the world. We do have our own first round pick this year. Right now we're in the midst of the lottery. So the back end, of chances, but we're in the midst of it. So I, I think I, I agree with you there. I, I just think, yeah, playoffs would have been fantastic if we would have been able to maintain um, even a 500 level of play. But, you know, playing against the Cavaliers doesn't help you. It just doesn't. There's nothing you can learn from that loss. You're going to get your asses kicked. And just to say you made the playoffs, it doesn't really help yeah. you. So, yeah, I agree with that. I, I, yeah, playoff experience kind of goes out the window when you're you know losing by thirty points every single night because they're just bringing it to you. Um, what's your opinion on tanking? Are you uh are you a tank guy? You think it has a place? You a you a hinky fan? Yeah, yeah, yes and no, because I wasn't big on the hinky thing because and it, when it was happening because he kept taking guys that were injured and that kind of bothered me. Because it almost seemed like you're you're tanking because you want to get the most talented guys. And how do you keep thinking the most talented guys are always injured? You know, you're mm-hmm. picking the most often injured guys like Noel missed his rookie year. Embiid missed his rookie year. Simmons wasn't going to miss his own. This wasn't a hinky pick, but this is sort of what, you know, he <laughs> hinky died for his sins uh, <laughs> to, to be able to get a guy like Ben Simmons. So sure. um, ultimate sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. So. I don't think tanking is is bad per se. I I don't at the time of it happening, I didn't agree with exactly everything that was happening with the Sixers uh, using them as an example, but I I guess it's hit or miss because for example, the Bucks, the Bucks tanked one year, really mm-hmm. bad, and they got Giannis or Giannis, I think I keep saying Giannis, I'm just going to correct myself on this spot. It's Giannis. So, um, it's been noted. Yeah, um, write that one down, everybody. So, so they got Giannis, and then after that, they they didn't have a great year the next year, but they've been able to build off of what was really one obvious year of tanking. So, well, was I, that the Giannis year, or was that for uh, Jabari? Because Giannis, I got like fifteenth overall. Well, maybe Giannis it was, was like maybe, super late in the maybe, draft. Maybe they did get Giannis when they were just bad, and then the the super tank was for Jabari. Yeah, I, I, I think, think you're it right. was because Giannis was like in like that weird Greek league where like all of his like draft footage was just him like uh going up against nobody in like a high school auditorium or something. Yeah. but yeah, regardless, you're, the point is still the same. 
Right. So I, I don't really mind tanking like that because that to me is fine. It, you realize, like, for example, the Bucks realized Brandon Jennings and Monta Ellis weren't going to do it for them as an eighth seed every year. Like, you're going nowhere. Okay? So so they moved on, and that's okay. They, they got some assets, and then, look, now things look pretty bright for them. They got Giannis, who's play, probably playing better than everybody could have imagined. He's at near LeBron special levels. at this point, yeah. Yeah, he's but, special. Yeah, in general, yeah, he's showing some things. That are but, but even the other guys they got, you know, they got Jabari in, in the super tank year, and Jabari looks like he has a real chance now to be better yep. than what everybody thought Wiggins was going to be. He could be the best player in the league in a couple of years. Jabari. It's a very, very real possibility that he could the, be the best player. He's in the very league. versatile. And um, on top of that, let's not forget they got Chris Middleton. And Chris Middleton's yep. a, a very athletic lights-out shooter. So uh, what, what, I'm saying, yeah, what I'm saying is you can tank. I, I don't think there's an issue with tanking. I, I think I'm not big on prolonged tanking. Like, Yes, it worked for the Sixers. The process, yeah. Yeah, the, the the process, so to speak. The process. I'm not high on that because at that point, it comes with the cost. You're going to alienate a lot of fans too. Yeah. So, so that's what I'm not high on. If you do it quickly and the fans understand, like even for us with the Knicks, right? We had the one underachieving year. Then we had the tank year. And everyone was like, okay, well, you know, we, no, we never get to rebuild. Maybe this time we're going to get to rebuild. And then lo and behold, we got Chris Stapps. And now See, cause we feel I'm good on the about the same things. page as you with that, because like I think with, uh, you know, the tank is like it comes to the point sometimes in the season where it's just like it's more fun to watch your team lose than it is to watch them win at that point. You know, it's more fun to watch your team lose um, when you know that there's like a, a pot of gold at the end of that rainbow or probably rainbow is not the best. Well, best yeah, well, well, here, when there's a means to an end. Yeah. For. When there's a means to the end. Yeah. There's like. You know, there it's more fun to watch your team lose like that. You don't care as much. But when your team's just losing and you got no hope at the end of it, or your team loses or wins a couple of games and it's kind of mediocre, then it's like you know you have no stake. It's like what that I feel like that alienates fans even more. Well, that that's how this year's starting to feel, and that's kind of how that thirty-seven mm-hmm. win year after the fifty-four win year felt. We were losing and we weren't making the playoffs, so we just had a a really miserable year. With no you know, pick we, or anything. We were, yeah, we were too good to, to even be. I don't think we had our first round pick that year anyway. But nope. you know, we we were we were good. We were uh, we were sort of bad for no reason and good for no reason. It made no sense. So that that's a really just nasty year to have to watch a team because you don't know what to make of them. But at least, yeah, if you're going to tank for a year, I think that's fine. It, there's a means to an end. You know, you're going to get get a good pick. You know, maybe it pays off. Maybe it doesn't. For us, it has with KP. So I, I don't mind tanking if it's short term. Like I could deal with one season of losing like we had to go through with the tank year and then know that, OK, we got a guy we're going to build around. This is OK. But I, I, I don't know if I could do four or five years of it like the, the Sixers sure. did. Like that's that's asking for a lot. So let's say we're going through our process right now, our quote unquote process. Um, you know, you we tanked in, you know, fourteen, fifteen, got Porzingis, and now they're building up from here. Considering the players that they have on the roster right now, let's say we got three years left until uh, the Knicks are back to being a high playoff contending team. Just complete hypothetical. But let's say three years. Is there anybody other than <coughs> KP who's currently on this roster that you think um is worth holding on to for that period of time? Hmm. I have um, I basically have three three names. Well, uh the one the only one that like 
is high on my list is uh, Billy. Yeah, I was going to say go- Billy. That goes into more kind of reasons why, like, you know, he's young, he can be developed, and he's got that connection to KP. He's always going to be huge for, you know, just their locker. It's almost like, in a way, uh, you know, when you have a brother on a team. It's like, you know, when you have the holidays playing together or you have the, you know, the Currys playing together or something like that. To me, that kind of feels like the same way. Um, but, yeah, it, it's I feel like it's him. It's maybe Courtney Lee, depending on how, because we got him for another three years anyway. You know, depending on how this whole thing works out, maybe Lee. And then just because I feel like he's starting to hit his prime with how he's played this year, Kylo Quinn. Um, but those are the only like names I could bring. Like even the guys who are playing well are just a little too old to fly, you know, fit into a process like Kuzminskis or uh, Holiday or anyone like that. Well, well, that's why I was going to agree because both Kuz and Holiday are 27 years old, and yeah. while they have been nice pickups, I think you can you can generally always find a guy like them who can come off the bench and hit a couple of threes or they you know, come what, around. What, what they, they come around. They, they aren't really, kind of, they fit a role. I mean, that's kind of the, the key measure of a role player is how well they fit their role. Right. They're great role players, but there's always going to be great role players to come around and right. the NBA will be different in three years anyway. And their role might not be as valuable. We'll see. Right. But so, so no, I, I think I for sure uh, agree on Billy because Billy has already shown that, he can rebound consistently at the NBA level, and he can score consistently at the NBA level. He's he's a great he's a good scorer at 22. He's a good scorer, and he's a good rebounder. He leaves a lot to be desired defensively. So I think that's fine isn't, for now. Which which is fine, and for it always comes down to this for for rookies on this show, at least with us, is the NBA is hard. So learning NBA defenses and. and the athleticism, uh, the athletic level of this league, I think it's a transition, it's a process. So, uh, Billy, I agree with 100%. He's only 22. He's a center. He's a bona fide center, and he and you know he's going to be able to fill it up and rebound. I think you can, yes, keep him. Even if he comes off the bench in the future and his ceiling isn't quite as high as we may like to believe, I, I think you roll with it. Um yeah, it's worth a shot. It, it costs him nothing to get him. Right, and, and O'Quinn's kind of the... more to cut him than to keep him at this point, I yeah. feel. And, and O'Quinn's kind of the same thing because O'Quinn's only 25, I think. So 24, 25. So yeah. he's he's kind of the same thing. Like he's finally hitting a little bit of a stride in his career. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, he's inconsistent here and there, but largely he's been better this season than he was last year. He's still young. And again, he's another one. He can, he can shoot, he can rebound, and he's been pretty okay defensively, especially compared to Anoa. So... Man, how far we've come in 13 episodes of this show. We, we had to completely erase Kyle on Kyle because he's to. been good. This is a whole segment just eliminated. Yeah, yeah, which, again, uh, please unblock us, Kyle O'Quinn. We yeah, say nice things about you pretty frequently. But, hashtag um, come back Kyle. Come back Kyle. So I, I agree on those two. And Lee, yeah, we have him on contract, and that makes sense. He, he's getting up there in age, too, but... Again, there's always if you got him and he keeps doing the same thing. It's like you know, well, they, they you always need say, bets regardless. They always say uh, the jump shots are the last thing to go, and if he can shoot, then that's kind of all you need. He, he's he's a quick, small guy. I mean, look at Ray Allen. Ray Allen had mm-hmm. a role forever. Yes, I'm not going to compare Courtney Lee to arguably <laughs> the best three point shooter, but <laughs> but it's that kind of a role where if you can just do your little role, come off the bench or anything, just come off screens, catch and shoot. There's always a role for that kind of guy, too. And you see how well he does uh, at it now. So I think that I agree with you on those. Pretty hey man, much. Courtney Lee, 
had the best three-point shooting in the NBA for like a three-game span. If he ain't the next Ray Allen, I don't know who is. Yeah, that's I see no lies. That's hot. I see. I see no lies. Um, all right. So before we wrap up things up today, let's just kind of, uh, do a little evaluation here. We're halfway there, you know, going to be the 43rd game tonight, I do believe. Um, so let's just kind of, let's take a look. What, uh, do you, is this where you thought they'd be at this point in the season? Like, honest to God, they're hitting yep. a rough stretch right now, but did you expect them to be, you know, have this record or around here at this point? No. Um, well, record, no. But in terms of how far off of the eighth seed, I guess yes. Because we kind of figured the ceiling for this team was going to be a seventh or eighth seed. And that's still, despite the slide and and despite the record, they're still only two and a half games out of the eighth seed. So it's like, yes, they've underachieved, but they're kind of still on par with what most of us felt they would be, which is a low-end playoff team. So, um, I don't know, kind of halfway. See, here's my thinking. Uh, this record is pretty much exactly what I was expecting. Um, I didn't expect them to overachieve so much early on. Um, uh, you know, 14-4, all that good stuff. But, yeah, so I didn't really expect that... But I really didn't expect this this uh, cold streak here. I didn't expect it to be, you know, come out long as easily. So, you know, that kind of balances it out. However, I have been kind of predicting, I think they're going to go through another kind of cold stretch as the last half of the season goes on. They're not just going to play average basketball for the next half of the season. But I don't see another win streak like they had in them earlier. I feel like they're not, consist- they're not consistent enough to, to play average basketball through yeah. and through for the next two and a half months. But... And- you have to imagine they're going to have another they're they're going to have another run or two where they they run off a few games in a win streak we're going to start seeing i think maybe after this january is probably the most difficult month as a whole so i think you're going to start seeing some four or five game win streaks and things like that it's going to be runs with this team unfortunately i think that's what we've come to see so far but i i agree i I think at some point you're yeah they're, they're going to play better but then they're going to probably hit a cold stretch as uh, we near the playoffs. Okay. Well, kind of on that, before we get to, because I want to, I do want to know what your end game record is going to be. But before we get to that real quick, what do you think the, what's the best thing they're doing right now? Like, let's let's get a little, get a little optimistic here. It's, you know, it's a downtime. What, what, they got to be doing something, right? Um, I'm going to go with preserving the long-term future of this team, the, the goal of this team, which is Chris Apps Porzingis. Okay. Um, as much as there's an emphasis between the media and and a lot of the fans because they're you know they see the names and they get outraged um, uh, on there being you know the win now ideology. At the same time, if there was such a win now focus, do you really think Chris Stapps would just miss two or three games at a time every week or so because of a sore Achilles? Probably not. You know, I, I think I think it's it's sort of good that they're not trying to force him back. You know, even though he has been open about thinking he can play, so it seems it sounds like a team decision to shut him down at times. So I just, you know, it's a little bit of an off the court thing, but I think that's sort of the best thing is despite the slide here, you know, they're not really afraid to just sit down. Arguably, their best player 
and just make sure, okay, hey, you know, we need you for next season and the seasons after that. So if you're not 100%, even if you're 95%, if you're not 100%, there's no reason for you to go right now. And, and I like yeah. that. I agree. And kind of along the same lines, too, the thing that I think they're doing the best this season is getting everything, um, just getting everything they can get out of each player. Like, you know, they have guys on the team right now. A lot of them were pretty unknown. A lot of them, uh, you know, journeyman guys, a lot of just a lot of guys that didn't have really all that high of ceilings. And I feel like even if they're not performing at a, you know, superstar level or if they're not necessarily all meshing right now, getting a lot out of guys, you know, Baker, Kuzer, big example right away. Kylo Quinn's year has been, you know, the most consistent example of that. Lee's been really good. Uh, you know, they got a lot out of Thomas last year, especially. Um, so I think, I don't know if I would call it necessarily player development as their strength, but once they got the guys there and ready to succeed, they seem like they're, yeah, pretty much ready to go. I think a lot of that's coaching too, because yep, it seems like a lot of the role players, um, seem to to buy in more and and they play well under what maybe Hornacek wants to do and it seems like the, the stars in this team you know Mello whether it's Mello calling his own number or you know Rose kind of having a reckless abandon to always just force things at the rim despite being pretty good offensively this year I, I think that's kind of what it comes down to too is those guys kind of rely on their talents a lot but the role players are buying into maybe a, a system that Hornacek's trying to lay and it's sort of optimizing them so I think I, I agree on that point as well. Can we also agree that the worst thing they're doing is probably transition defense? On the court, yes. Um, it would have to be... Tra- right now it was transition D because for most of the year it was uh, their post defense. Mm-hmm. But but now that uh, Noah and O'Quinn have kind of come on again and, and they've been better recently uh, over this last seven or eight games... Um, yeah, transition D has just been horrendous. And I think part of that's they've just been very sloppy. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of turnovers that's leading to that too, but guys aren't getting back. And so then I, I think we can just obviously say off the court communication has been it's, the it's, worst the, thing. The thing is... Just the fucking worst. Well, the, the thing is, it always happens with the Knicks to an extent, but it's... This has all the makings of like, and, and I think uh, it was John Nick's fan on Twitter uh, on Twitter who was talking about it, where it sort of seems like this is just uh, your typical Phil mind game, where it, it seems strategic almost how this is all playing out to make it look like Melo's a, a scapegoat of sorts. So I I don't I, it seems excessive at, at this point. It doesn't seem like the usual. Nick's miscommunication because we have and besides the metal thing you know Rose disappears for eight hours and no one knows where he is and then Courtney Lee is posting dumb and dumber memes like it seems like nobody's talking to each other so I think that starts from the top and if if Phil's playing games or he's leaking little things and he, whether it's coming from Dolan or someone else in the front office if guys are leaking things you know that probably wears in the players and then if you aren't winning games I think if that's sort of what's accepted as a franchise is these little leaks and rumors and things like that, maybe you feed into it, but oh yeah, as a whole communication is just woeful. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Like, why would you want your business out there? I I, I don't understand it. Why would you ever want your just, and I know it's so often, but it's not even just everybody compares, uh, the Knicks, like maybe to this, not compares them to the Spurs, but you would say like, why couldn't you just, Run like the Spurs, just 
do your business, show up, show yeah. up. But that's Be like professional. But it's like every team. It's not just the Spurs, you know, record wise or not. They're the best example, but it's really not that difficult to to have your riffs and keep them in house. I, I, it's it baffles me how things get out. It seems like every two or three days. It, it's exhausting. That's why we get made fun of. It's always a, a shit show here. Yeah, yeah, but you know what, buddy? If we didn't have that, we wouldn't have nothing to talk about. So That's, it wouldn't be the Knicks without it. So it wouldn't be the Knicks without it. All right, last thing. Just give me a number here. What's your record? What's the end of the season record? Hmm. Like thirty-four games. Thirty-four. 34. I had them at 40, uh, 40. I had them 40 and 42, and I think eighth in the East. That's, I that's had them, what I was feeling. I had them about, uh, I think, 37 initially. Um, and I have them at 29 and 53 now. Ooh. I just, what I've been seeing lately, man, I don't know if this team can win 30 games. I don't I, know if they have them in them. I don't know. I, you know, and I could be wrong. I'll probably be a little wrong here. But I just, I'm not totally convinced that they have it in them to pull them out of whatever drama they're going through to win 30 games of basketball this season. I, uh, to an, again, I, I agree to an extent. I, I think, yeah, they've given us no reason to, to think better, but I, I do want to sort of hedge it with the fact that, like I, I've said a couple times in the show, I, I just cannot, for the life of me, convince myself that they're going to again over the last 18 games they've only won four i i cannot i cannot convince myself that that'll kind of keep going i think at some point things have to balance out you're gonna get a couple of fluky wins you're gonna get a couple of big wins you know take care of the teams you're supposed to i i just can't see this uh stretching that long and at the the bigger thing is I can't see them being worse than the team than than last year. I see, just I can't. can. I because absolutely can. I, I can't. I, I, I'll believe it when I see it. Well, once I see it, I'll go, you know what? This makes sense. But at this moment in time, like we have KP averaging 20 points a game on 40% shooting from deep. I, I Rose is having his best offensive year in God knows how long since 2011. It, I can't. But like, I, 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 I can't talk it, myself into it. You know, Rose and Melo are too inconsistent. You know, the only you know KP can average you know twenty points a game on forty percent three point shooting all he wants. But you know, you can look over in the other conference of Russell Westbrook is doing just the stupid shit, and like, you know, the Thunder aren't nearly as bad as the Knicks. But like, one player can only take you so far. It doesn't matter if what what numbers Westbrook's putting up. He's only going to be able to get that Thunder team so far. And, you know, on nights when all of our players aren't gelling together, that's what you have. You have one player doing it all. And it's just and just with everything going on off the court, the Knicks have so much more off the court distraction than any other team in the league. It's just it it blows. And I, I just don't know if they're going to be able to get over it in the first season of all these guys together. Because remember, like, no, there was like nine new players on this year's team. And this is the first time they're seeing how the New York Knicks handle their business at this point. I don't know, man. I could certainly see this team being that bad. I could also see this team being, you know, closer to that 35 game, uh, you know, 37 win kind of team that I thought they were going to be. But my ceiling or my floor has dropped much lower. Yeah, I'm just going up 34 because I think they're going to be bad, uh, worse than I thought, for probably for sure at this point. But I can't go lower than 34 because then that means they're essentially the same team as last year. And I just... As bad as they've shown to be, I can't wrap my head around it right now. 
Well, I guess we'll uh, we'll have to see. We might have a better picture next week. Welp is the perfect word. Welp. <laughs> I don't know, man. Sometimes you just get to a point. Bad is just bad. That's yeah. We'll see that. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm not. I'm not done yet. I'm not. I'm not out yet. But goddamn, man. Goddamn is right. This is this has been bad. Anyway, all right. Let's get out of here. I'm hungry. Um, you guys can go ahead and we're going to plug us first. Follow me on Twitter at wish I was Corbo and you can follow Kyle at Maggio MBA, uh, NBA, not NBA, not like the masters of business. Yeah. Not yet. Um, yeah. And you can follow the next wall too. this great site that we, uh, do all of this for at the next wall and make sure you head to, uh, the next wall.com, uh, check out a couple of features we got up there. Um, I wrote a recap this week. I wrote it for the Hawks games. First time I've ever had to do that. It was uh, good. So check that out. I think I did a good job. Um, Kyle, you got a piece up right now, right? Yep. Shoot or shoot. Shoot or shoot. Uh, so check that out too. Uh, all good stuff on the site. We'll be posting some links to that too. And uh, all the other recaps and all the other previews for all the games we got this week. Got that covered for you too. So stay tuned and we will talk to you next Be careful uh, to keep track of where you're in